So Lord, we pray that you'd open your word to us this morning and teach us how to be closer to you and closer to each other. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was leading a mission trip in the Dominican Republic, and I was doing it with one of my closest friends who at the time happened to be working for me. And toward the end of the mission trip, we were talking one night, and he said to me, Scott, you know, you're not like all the other leaders I know. And I said, well, how's that? And he said, you know, other leaders inspire people by their strength and skill and confidence. <laughs> Already I was wondering, where's this going to go? And he said, and you know, people follow them out of awe or reverence or fear, but you're not like that. And I said, well, how? And he said, we... With you, we, we don't follow you out of awe or fear. With, with you, it's more like, well, pity. <laughs> you just look like you need someone to follow you, so we do. <laughs> with friends like that, right? But actually, that's one of the things that was great about our friendship, was that we were close enough to sort of kid each other like that. We're talking about relationships that bring us life this month. And I think in our culture, friendship is one of the most undervalued, but perhaps most desperately needed relationship there is. We tend to place so much importance on other kinds of relationships, like marriage or parenting. And we should. But one of our deepest longings is for a good friend. Someone who really knows us and will stick with us no matter what. In fact, I think that one of the reasons marriages fail is because we don't have good friends in our lives. And so our spouse then has to become everything for us. You know, our, our friend, our buddy, our confessor, our, our everything. And no one relationship was meant to bear that much relational freight. We need friends. But I think that one of the tragedies in our culture is that we have lost the art of making good friends. You know, we're so busy. Our lives are, are crowded with work, running the kids to and from soccer practice, all, all kinds of other activities. We're just, our, our calendars are packed. And on top of that, we live miles apart from the people we work with, from the people we go to church with. Sometimes we don't even know our next-door neighbors. And even here at church, you know, we, we, we come once a week, we, we sit in the pews, and then we take the, those 30 seconds to do that little handshake thing, you know, and, and some of you love that and some of you hate that. And then, you know, th that's it. That's community. Okay, let's get on with the show, guys. Let's move, right? And that makes friendship hard. And, and men, let's just be honest for a moment here, right? We, we really don't do this friendship thing very well. I mean, we do the buddy thing, okay? Hey, how you doing? Right? But the friendship thing, we just don't do it very well at all. I think some of us prefer shopping to being friends. So, in such a culture, how do we develop deep, meaningful friendships, the kind that God would like us to have? The story of David and Jonathan gives us some great clues. They had a great friendship. Jonathan was the, the king's son. The king was Saul. Jonathan was his son, an heir apparent to the throne. But God had chosen David to be the next king, not Jonathan. And that made Saul, the king, very angry, so he decided that he was going to kill David. But Jonathan and David were good friends. In fact, in the Hebrew it says that, 
Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. This great image. So Jonathan helps David escape. And the last thing they say to each other as they part company is, God is between you and me forever. It was a very close, godly friendship. And I think it gives us some clues for how we can have great friendships. In fact, I think it tells us five things about friendship. And they all start with the letter C, so it's easy to remember. Because I know you're only used to three points, so I've added two, but they all start with C, so that should help. And the first thing is covenant. Friendships don't just happen. You have to make a covenant to make them happen. The text says over and over again that David and Jonathan made a covenant with each other to be friends. And that word covenant is a very loaded word biblically. It's the highest form of commitment you can make. A commitment never to be broken. It's the word God uses when he makes promises to us. In fact, in the Bible, even the ways, even the way that covenants were usually made emphasized commitment. What you would do is you would take an animal and you would divide, you'd kill it and cut it in half. And then you'd put it on either side of the road and then the two parties making the covenant would walk between the divided animal and they'd stop in the middle and they'd sort of look to each side. And the implication was, if you break these promises, you're going to be like this animal, cut in half. It was a little more intense than cross my heart and hope to die. That's the kind of commitment David and Jonathan made to each other. And I think that's very different than how we do friendships today. I think for us, friendship is primarily a matter of convenience, not a deliberate commitment we make to somebody. If we happen to live in the same neighborhood, or if our kids happen to go to the same school, or if we have the same activities, then we will be friends. But the Bible suggests that friendship is a sacred commitment we make to each other, almost as sacred as marriage. And in order to have deep, lasting friendships, we need to treat them as a sacred covenant. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you hit it off with somebody at work, the first thing you do is cut their goldfish in half and say, let's have a covenant friendship. Okay, that'd be a little odd. And I'm not suggesting that friendship should be neurotically planned and constantly evaluated, but we need to be deliberate about them. We need to commit to spend time together, commit to getting to know each other beyond the masks, and commit to working together to make the friendship grow. When we lived in California, Christine and I made a commitment with three other couples that we would spend every Sunday night together. And every Sunday night, we would, we would get together and eat dinner. We'd spend time afterwards talking and, and sharing our lives and sometimes praying for each other. And that forged a very deep friendship. And it happened because we made a covenant to make it happen. You know, one of the number one complaints I hear in churches, this one included, is from people who say, I just can't plug in here. I just don't have any friends. And what's interesting to me is you're all saying that about each other. We're all wanting the same thing from each other, friendship. But we're all too shy to make it happen, to take, make the first move. Make it happen. Find someone in, in, in one of the activities in our church. Join an activity and, and then find someone you hit it off with. And commit to spend time together. And then commit to get to know each other beyond the surface level. And yeah, it's awkward at first. And and true, not everybody is going to want to be friends with you. That's true. But there are 3,000 people that are part of this church. Surely one of them will like you? (laughs) Surely. This is possible. Make it happen. 
Friendships are a covenant. It takes commitment to make them work. The second C of friendship is competition. Get rid of it. It has no place in a friendship. Notice that Jonathan was heir to the throne and David was the usurper. They should have been at each other's throats, but instead, Jonathan helps David become king because their friendship trumped their competition. Now, of course, there is such a thing as healthy competition, like in sports or when we're really trying to spur each other on to do our best. But there's also a very unhealthy competition, and it's rampant in our culture, where the other person is the enemy, the person that's going to beat me at the game or get the promotion or have the bigger house, and I've just got to rub that person out. In true friendships, we don't compete with each other. We complete each other. We help each other become everything that God intended us to be. Like Jonathan helping David become king. Because that was the call on David's life. And people who help each other become all that they were meant to be in Jesus Christ tend to have a lot of very good, meaningful friendships. Covenant, completion, not competition. And the third C is compassion. Which means to feel alongside of another person. To feel with another person. We need to enter into each other's joys and struggles and share them. Because a burden shared is cut in half and a joy shared is doubled. When David and Jonathan separate, there's a very moving scene where they, where they hug each other, they, they weep together, they share each other's suffering. That's compassion. Gordon MacDonald tells a story about his nine-year-old son whose best friend had leukemia and lost all of his hair because of the chemotherapy. And the other kids at school were making fun of him for having no hair, so Gordon MacDonald's son shaved his own head. And then a couple of other of the kids shaved their heads too, and, and pretty soon no one knew who to make fun of anymore because there were all these shaved heads running around. That's compassion. Do we share our friends' struggles? Do we even know our friends' struggles? Because in a community like ours, we spend an awful lot of time pretending to be perfect, right? We've sort of got our Jesus face on. I'm perfect. Now, don't bother me. We need to stop pretending that we're perfect because we aren't and get beyond the masks and share each other's burdens. Covenant, completion, not competition, compassion, and the fourth C is common cause common cause. David and Jonathan have a common cause to work to get David on the throne. Friendships work best when we are together in some mission. Because as good as it is to share our struggles and our sorrows, if that's all we do, if all we do is sit around and share our feelings and our emotions, our friendship becomes kind of an endless Oprah show. You know, sloppy. It's like the old joke, how many Northern Californians does it take to change a light bulb? Five, one to change it and four to share the experience. (laughs) Truly deep friendships have a common cause that they're working toward. That's part of what's so great about sports. I mean, it gives you this sense of camaraderie as you work together to attain a goal. Lead a Bible study together. Do a service project together. Identify a need in the community and go meet it together. Whatever it is, friendships are deepest when we work toward a common cause. The friend I told you about at the beginning of the sermon, in spite of all his good-natured teasing of me, was one of the closest friends I've ever had. 
And the reason is because he was my right-hand man for five years as we worked together to build a college ministry at Stanford. I mean, he was there every step of the way. He was there the first night when all we had was about 10 students and my talk was terrible and the music was even worse. He was there with me when the group didn't grow for the first six months. He was there with me when the group did start to grow, finally, eventually. He was there on every rock climbing trip, every ski trip, every mission trip we ever took for five years. And together we watched that thing grow from a handful of students to a couple of hundred. And we saw people come to Christ, we saw people's faith deepen, we saw lives change, and we formed a very deep friendship because we had a common cause. In fact, that night in the Dominican Republic, when he had finished mocking me for my pitiable leadership style, he went on to say, Scott, seriously, I want you to know that being in this ministry with you has been the ride of my life, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And there was no one who I would rather have done it with than you. And I was able to say the same things back to him and say, you know what, if it had just been you and me, it would have been worth it. It was one of those great friendship moments, the kind you maybe would see in a movie. And we got there because we had a covenant to spend time together and to get beyond the masks. And we weren't competing with each other, we were completing each other. And we had compassion for each other and shared each other's struggles, and we had a common cause to spread the gospel at Stanford. And that formed a very deep friendship. Covenant, completion, not competition, compassion, common cause, and one more C I just got to add, and it's the obvious one and it's the one you'll remember, I hope, Christ. Christ. David and Jonathan's friendship is rooted in God. Over and over again they say to each other, God is between you and me forever. When Christ is the glue that holds you together, that is the deepest friendship you will ever have. When I was in college, I met with a friend a couple of times a week for prayer. And in fact, we hardly ever spoke to each other. We would just pray together. We'd, we'd meet early in the morning, spend about five minutes checking in, and then we'd just pray. And he would pray for what was on his heart, for his needs, and I'd listen. And when he was done, I'd pick up and pray for what he had just prayed for and then add some concerns of my own. And then when I was done, he'd pick up on what I just prayed for and then add some concerns of his own. And we'd go back and forth like this for 45 minutes. And most of our friendship was built around praying together. To this day, there is a unique spiritual dimension to our friendship, and it has lasted for over 20 years. In fact, all the truly deep friendships I've had have lasted and have lasted have been centered in Christ. Ecclesiastes says that two are better than one, because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's kind of an interesting passage, right? The, the, the passage is talking about two people, and then suddenly it says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Two are better than one, but three is even better. And that third strand is Christ. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Christ needs to be the glue that holds us together. Because finally, there's no way that we can really do this on our own. Because none of us are this good at being friends. None of us. Only Jesus knew how to do this right. Jesus said, no greater love has this than that a man lay down his life for his friends, which is what he does when he goes to the cross to reconcile us to God. And if we know him, he can show us how to love each other the way he's loved us. So how are you fixed for friends? What commitments might you need to make to make your friendship stronger? Who are you competing with when you could be completing them?
Who do you need to have compassion for? What common cause can you join around? And how can Christ be the center of it all? When my first wife left me, at the time, I was living in Atlanta. And one of my good friends was living in Anchorage, Alaska, about as far away as you could get and still be in the same country. And he was working as an intern in a small church making next to nothing for a salary. And I would call him up every other day crying, despondent over the fact that my first wife had left me. And and, and he would kind of help me through that. Well, a couple weeks in, one day he called me up and he said, 4 p.m. next Monday. And I said, 4 p.m. next Monday, what's that? And he said, that's when my plane touches down in Atlanta. You're in trouble, so I'm there. And he came. And it couldn't have been easy. It was very expensive and he didn't have much money. It was time-consuming. He stepped into an unpleasant mess. I was a basket case, but he came. That's a friend. It's also a great description of who Jesus is. In the New Testament, Jesus says this astonishing thing. He says to his disciples, You're my friends. You're not my servants. You're my friends. And in that culture, the thought that God, which is what Jesus was, the thought that God could ever be friends with a human being would have been considered repulsive. It was such an obnoxious thought that nobody had ever thought it. It was literally an unthinkable thought. But God thought it. And that's why he came in human form in the person of Jesus in order to be our friend. And he made a covenant with us. But he didn't sign it with the blood of some animal. He signed it in his own blood. And all of that was a way of saying to us what my friend said to me. I am there. When you get the promotion, I'm there. When you get laid off, I'm there. When you get married, I'm there. And if the marriage hits the rocks, I'm there. When you're full of vigor and youth, I'm there. When you're sick and ailing, I'm there. When you are born, I'm there. And when death's dew lies cold on your brow, even then, especially then, I am there. That's the whole point of his life. Born in a barn, died on a garbage heap, and spent everything in between with thieves and prostitutes and foul-mouthed fishermen. He has been through it all. And all of that is God himself shouting at the top of his lungs, whatever you face, I am there. It's like that wonderful old hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. Every trial and tribulation, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a great privilege we have to carry everything to him in prayer. And all of that is ours for eternity. And here on earth, the power to have deep, meaningful friendships. So let's become together a community of covenant-keeping friends so that the world will know that Jesus lives in our midst. Lord, we thank you so much that we can carry everything to you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we also ask that you would please help us to be the kind of friends that you have been to us. Lord, teach us to do this and we'll be grateful people. We pray this in your name. Amen.